We are back in Daniel. Um, so we're going to get right to it. Uh, we've got a lot to get through. Today we're in Daniel chapter 7. Um, just for some background to Daniel chapter 7, uh, we've gone through the first six chapters a long, long, long time ago. Uh, and, and that was the historic uh, part of things. Uh, actually, from, from here on out is history. Uh, it's just history that hasn't happened yet. Uh, and so it's, it's all in prophecy. And, um, and actually, uh, because Daniel structures his book this way, uh, we're going to back up in time in terms of when these visions are given. We kind of went through and saw the end of, of, of Babylon, and, and now uh, at the end of chapter 6, Cyrus and, and Darius were uh, taking over uh, from, from Medo-Persia, right? And uh, we're even going to get into some of that today. But Daniel chapter 7 backs up for, to the first year of Belshazzar. Now, if you remember, we talked about uh, Belshazzar was kind of a regent king. He wasn't really the king. He's listed as the king because his dad was kind of off somewhere with uh, some medical things going on or whatever happened to that period of time, we don't know. But th- we, we're backing up around 10 to 12 years into, um, into still under the Babylonian uh, Empire here, and and so that's where these visions start to uh, to take place, and they're going to be the unfolding of history. One thing also that you'll notice as we read through here is, is kind of important, um, and it comes into play when you read Revelation. Actually, in fact, some of the details and pictures of of Daniel are repeated in Revelation, but Daniel is structured uh, with the with the visions what we call cyclically. In other words. Um, you'll even recognize and we'll kind of reference similarities between this chapter and Daniel chapter 2. Remember that statue and everything? This is going to mirror that. And so what happens is uh, Daniel will say things kind of generically and, and, and really broad. And then he goes back through a couple of times and he gives it some more details. He, he'll, he'll pick out little things and, and he'll give details about things that are going to happen. So we're going to read some of those events um, and, and we're going to try to find these in history. And we're going to try to get some lessons. So we're going to start in Daniel uh, chapter 7, verse 1. I better take the water here before we... Long chapter here. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions uh, of his head were on his bed. And he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. The four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from each other. And the first was like a lion that had eagle's wings, and I watched till its heads were plucked off. It was lifted up from the earth and made it to stand on two feet like a man. A man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, was raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said to it, Arise and devour much flesh. Now after this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the rest with its feet, or the residue. It was different from all of the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. Hmm. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up from among them, before, uh, before whom three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And there in his horns was an eye, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. And I watched till thrones were put in place. 
And the Ancient of Days was seated, and his garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool, and the throne was fiery flame, and the wheels were burning fire. A fiery stream issued, and there came forth from him a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand. That's a hundred million. Um, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. And I watched then because the sound of pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain, its body was destroyed and given to the burning flame. And as for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, and their lives were prolonged for a season at a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and then to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom, so that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an, is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is the one which will not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came to one of those who stood near and asked him the truth of all this. And so he told me and made known to me the interpretations of these things. He says, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings, or kingdoms, we'll see, um, which rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nail of bronze, which devoured, broke in pieces and trampled the rest with its feet. And the ten horns were on its head, and the other horn which came up, in which three fell, namely the horn which had eyes and mouth and spoke pompous words, which uh, appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching in the same horn and was making more war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And at the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom, and so he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, watching shall be different from... Uh, which shall be different from all other kingdoms that will devour, devour the whole earth and trample and break it in pieces and ten horns of ten kings who will rise up from this kingdom and another shall rise after them. And so it will be different from the first. He shall subdue three kings. He will speak pompous words against the Most High who will persecute the saints of the Most High and intend to change even times and laws. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times and a half time. The court shall be seated. They shall take away his dominion and consume and destroy it forever. The kingdoms and dominions and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and dominion, all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. And as for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed. But I kept the matter in my heart. Wow. We're not going to be able to do all these details. This would take a number of sermons to, to get through this. We're going to try to, to skim through it and, and, and get something from this. Uh, we draw your attention as we, as we start to this great sea. We've talked about this in Revelation. The great sea is what we call a theater of operations. It's a military word. but uh, it, it's, it's whatever the sphere is. Right? And, and we, we see the phrase, the whole world, which doesn't mean the whole world. God is not really concerned at this point of something going on in Hawaii. Right? Uh, it's the whole world as, it under, as they understood it. Right? If you have a, a friend and, and uh, they're not good at keeping secrets, and uh, you told somebody else, and, and that somebody else told that person, now you say, the whole world is going to know. You don't mean actually literally the whole world. You mean just kind of your sphere of of people around you. And that's what this means. This, this sea, this great sea, this world where Daniel was in, this, this section of the world was going to 
have these four things happen. Well, we've seen these four, haven't we? We've seen four things before, and he's going to run through the same thing, and we're going to see exactly how similar these are, uh, these pictures of things. uh, And so we have four kingdoms again, four empires. And so this will actually be uh, the structure of this vision will be copied uh, several times, referred to several times in the book of Revelation. So, Let's get, because, because it's interesting, there's, there's these first three, and then there's this other one that, that's worse. And, and that's where Daniel spends most of his time. He's really kind of concerned about this other one. Now, I believe largely this is because he was familiar to some degree with the first three already, because the other three were very much in the world at the time, the different stages of progress. And the fourth one kind of existed, but it wasn't really a player so we have these first three beasts. So, so we're going to just really quickly go through. Well, if, if this is Daniel chapter 2 retold with some more details, then we're looking at Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. With Rome having this division kind of in it. You see even, even here in, uh, in this, there's this section of, 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 of this fourth one, and, and there's this kind of thing that happens in the middle of it, and he, uh, and it's kind of different, right? And and that even even follows uh, the the uh, picture of the legs of iron, and then the feet were kind of iron with clay. There's this, this subdivision, and there's a transition to something different. Well, these pictures all are very very similar. So let's begin with the lion. He, he talks about a, a lion with wings. Well, if this is to be what we identify as, as Babylon, then this should pick, fit the picture of Babylon. It's interesting. I was going to do a, 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 a PowerPoint here, but for the sake of time, uh, we're going to skip it this week. And we'll see if we get to it next week. But, but uh, it is interesting that in Babylon, the, the rulers uh, pictured themselves, their statues that they commemorated themselves. We're a lot of talk this week about statues. Uh, the statues that they, they commemorated themselves were, were lions with wings. So anybody reading this would immediately go, huh, he's talking about Babylon. But what about these wings? And he says, uh, this king, this, he was kind of like a, a, a man, he was, but he has his wings plucked off. And then he's given a heart like a man. We've talked about Nebuchadnezzar a little bit. The, the, really, when you think of Babylon, you think of Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't the king for the whole time. He's just kind of the, the big cheese for Babylon. And uh, he's the one you think of. And Babylon was its greatest under Nebuchadnezzar. He was a brutal, vicious man. In fact, we spent our first five chapters, the, the, the first majority of our set of sermons, were talking about his kind of progress from being this brutal dictator that, that went into and, and just slaughtered people in Jerusalem to becoming a guy who, who ended up accepting God to whatever degree he did. And we saw that progress. And sometimes it had some highs and sometimes it had its lows. But the moment that really kicked it over was this point in time where God plucked his wings off and made it really as a... I'm going to set you down a little bit. And you're going to eat grass for a little while. Until he came to his senses and God picks him up. And he now has the heart of a man. A, a, a human being, kind of. To, to understand and to be compassionate. And that's this picture. 
So we move on to bear. The bear was raised up on one side. We talked about the, the picture of, of even uh, this, the, the, it was the shoulders and the, the arms, the chest of, of uh, Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia, uh, was, it was a, the nation of Media and it was the nation of Persia. It rose to power under, under Media, who was uh, under Cyrus's father-in-law. But Cyrus, uh, he was the general much like Nebuchadnezzar had been a general. And, but Cyrus soon took power. He was married to, uh, to, to I don't remember the name of the, uh, the, the king's name, but, but so Persia ends up becoming the dominant power. It raises up on one side. And, and media is almost, almost lost. We don't even refer to it anymore. As though we just refer to it as Persia. It was raised up on one side and it has these, these three ribs in its mouth. Well, as Medo-Persia goes out into the world, it conquers three areas. Lydia, which is Turkey, Babylon, obviously, and then Egypt. This is what it consumes. So let's move on to the leopard. Leopard's kind of interesting. A leopard, fast cat, a little smaller. But this one has four wings and it has four heads. And that's kind of interesting. It's an important thing. Uh, Wings, of course, the loftiness. But but the quickness. And there's four. There's the going in each direction. And the nation of Greece under Alexander the Great had an incredibly fast conquest. Alexander the Great conquered the sea, the, the known world, within seven years. All of, all of this greatness under, under Persia was not matched by Alexander the Great. He conquered north, south, east, and west. He started in Macedonia. We call it the Greek Empire, but it was actually the Macedonian Empire. He starts in Macedonia. He goes north into Bulgaria, what we know now as Bulgaria. He goes west into Greece. He goes east as far as Persia and Syria over that way. And then he goes south and he takes Egypt. All four directions in seven years. But he dies with no heir. And so his kingdom was divided up into his four heads, his four generals. Cassander... Lysimachus, Seleucus, and the one we know probably the most, the Ptolemies in Egypt. That's all a kind of a just an introduction to what really is grabbing his attention, Daniel's. Now, if you've compared these empires, these great empires, to the mightiest and most fearsome things you can imagine. What do you compare something that is greater than those? You just call it a fearsome beast. Right? Yeah, there's a lion, there's a bear, there's a leopard with wings flying around with four heads. I mean, that's some pretty crazy stuff. So the fourth one's just a beast, and it has iron teeth. Well, we've seen that before with a, in, a, in a statue with iron legs. It's, a, it's just a picture. It's the same kind of elements in here. So the beast is obviously the Roman Empire. Well, he talks about ten horns. We're going to get into some of the details, and I can't get into all of the details. We'll get into some. Just enough to to make the points that we want to make. And most of this is going to be, most of this sermon is kind of going through and is just establishing what we want. Our application is going to come at the end. So hold on. A horn is a seat of power. And Rome, as it declines is kind of broken up. It, it, it doesn't vanish immediately, but it's broken up into ten seats 
of power. They are identifiable in history. They are Rome, the city itself, with its senate, which still held power. There is what's called the Exarchate of Ravenna. This is where the rich people live. These are the elites. These are the, the royalty, the princes. There is what we call Lombardy. You've heard of the Lombards. This is northern Italy, the property of northern Italy. There are the Huns in Hungary. There are the Alamans. There are the Franks in what becomes France. There is Burgundy. There is the Saracens, which are in Spain and, and northern Africa, right over there by Gibraltar. There are the Goths in Germany, and there is Saxony, or Britain. These are the ten seats of power that Rome is kind of built up to. She got so big that she couldn't kind of hold it all together anymore. Many of them broke away and became their own thing, like places that had been India, for example, was under Rome's power at one point in time. It just became its own thing. and Rome just kind of receded, and it receded back to this, in, primarily in Europe. And so comes this horn. What is this horn? Well, he's a man, or a group of men. He has eyes. And so he gives a picture. He says, this is not a kingdom, per se. But this is a person, or people. And they speak great, pompous, Things, And he takes up three of these horns. And so we're going to look at history and see if during the Roman Empire there was ever this transition to something like this. Well, the Roman Empire begins losing its power as it's sacked by various groups. The final one being the Huns in 476. And after this, this is when this breaking up is kind of completed, and it continues its decline, and various places are taking the power from Rome, but Rome still kind of exists. It's still a political entity. And that's this picture of this horn. It says, there's this other, there's this transition, but it exists while these ten powers still are in force. And, and there's this little thing coming, it's this, this transition, this feet with clay and iron mixed. This, this is the period we're talking about. It didn't vanish immediately. It transitioned to something. In 751, so a couple hundred years later, the Lombards conquered uh, this property that, that is called the Exarchate of Ravenna. It's an important one. It's important because the Lombards didn't really hold on to it for too long. They held on to it for about four years. And then in France, there's a guy named Pep in the short. You gotta watch out for short people. Right? They have a Napoleon complex, right? Pepin conquered Lombardy. And the first thing he did about four years later in 755 AD is he marches to Rome. And he gives the Pope the Exarchate of Ravenna. That's the elites. One horn. Now belongs to the papacy. Well, Pepin has a son. We call him Charles the Hammer. Charlemagne. Charlemagne. Pretty powerful dude. Impressive guy. I mean, when your name is the Hammer... 
774, he comes to the Vatican. I don't know if it was called the Vatican then. But he comes to Rome. He kisses each step as he walks up. And he gives the Pope, this is a different Pope. That first one was, uh, uh, trying to think, the first one was Pope Stephen II. This is Pope Adrian I. And he gives the property of northern Italy, Lombardy, to the Pope. Counting that's two. Charlemagne has a son who's not so impressive. Uh, he has a son named Louis the Pious. Well, when your name, nickname is Pious and your dad's name is the Hammer, you're not as popular. Right? Now, he still has an impressive military. He's the last one to, to have an impressive French military for a few hundred years until said Napoleon comes to power. But uh, he wants the backing... Because he's not, in fact, he was so unimpressive that, that when his dad died, he has kind of a vying for power with his brothers. And so he has to hurry up and he puts the crown on his own head. Because really no one was excited to do it for him. So, so he doesn't have a lot of uh, cachet to walk around with. And he wanted that. <clears throat> around the same time, one of the popes, as they did frequently, seemed to die. They, had short lifespans there. And um, so there's a guy by the name of, well, who will take the name of Stephen IV. He wanted to be the Pope. Popes were elected. This is an election year. It's not unlike papal elections. There's a lot of politics going on. And so there's a quid pro quo. You heard that phrase before? You have a king who wants some power, and you have a guy who wants to have this power. And so what they did and what they decided was how to rig the system. Now we have to understand that bishops kind of did double duty. Bishops or cardinals were also senators in the city of Rome. So, uh, so here's how they figured things out. Stephen IV would bestow his approval upon Louis the Pious. That would give him kind of some, like, I think the word is gravitas. He, he had some, some, there was some there there now for the, for the general populace. And in return, what, uh, what Louis the Pious did is he packed the court. He expanded the number of senators in Rome and conveniently placed people in that liked Stephen IV. Guess who got elected? Stephen IV. Quid pro quo. And so the Senate of Rome is now under allegiance to the papacy. There's three horns. They now have the political leaders, they now have the elites, and they now have property. back up a little bit the title that these popes in return for their favor gave to the French kings was the Holy Roman Emperor. We see a transition from a purely political power to a religious political power in other words. 
It now had, and from this point on, I, I say, Louis the Pious is the last real ruler in Rome for a long time. The, 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 the seat of power will now rest not with the Roman emperors. That's just a figurehead title from now on. But it rests with the papacy who can enforce what they want. That's not really our main takeaway. By the way, if we want to get to the boasting of great things, I want you to want to read just one quote. This is from the 1300s. This is an official papal decree, a document, and uh, it has a long name that I... I it's, all this is translated from Latin, so uh, my understanding of what I'm reading is not entirely uh, clear. This is just a quick quote. It says, But to believe that our Lord God the Pope is the establisher of said decretal, some decree that he made, and of this he could not decree or doesn't have the power to decree, just as he did, should be accounted heretical. Now what did I just say? Well, from the best I can do, apparently there was some disagreement as to whether whoever the Pope was in 1300 had the right to make some law. And his saying that he didn't have the ability to make this rule was considered blasphemy. That's not the worst part of this quote. The worst part of this quote is that he is called Lord God the Father in an official document speaking great pompous words. I do not want to stand ever. I do not want to be the guy standing at the throne of God. And God says, uh, so, uh, excuse me, what was your name again? <clears throat> Stephen? Say Stephen. Um, I, I didn't catch, you have an alias here, I didn't catch that one. Lord God, Father, <clears throat> I don't want to be in those shoes. Now, as we look at this, there's a miscalculation that a lot of people do. Because in trying to understand this, not everyone has come to these conclusions. And a lot of this has to do with this section here, uh, beginning in verse 9, because it says, I watched till the thrones were put in place, and, and the Ancient of Days comes. And, and our first thought, our mindset first goes to the end of the world, where Christ is going to sit on the throne. But that's not the time where he's talking about we know this because he continues on and he says uh, that, that this power will continue for a little while. And these powers and these kingdoms will continue and they'll continue to harass the saints. So, so he's not talking about the end here. He's talking about a point in time where Christ is going to say enough is enough. And he's actually talking about a couple of different points in time as we go through here. And this draws us back. He kind of backs up in time a little bit and talks about a couple of points in time. One where this thing is going to this particular power is going to be judged, but, but he backs up in time even a little bit before that. And it mirrors Daniel chapter 2. We see, he says, in the time of those kings, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, that, a, that a, a stone was cut out of the mountain. And it rolls down the hills. It was during the times of those kings, during the Roman Empire. Not the end of the world, but during the Roman Empire. And that hit that in the feet and took it out of the way. But then after that, the thing continues to grow and take over the world. That's the same thing that the power, that, that Christ came during the period of Rome and, and he 
He established his own kingdom. It doesn't take over right away. It has to grow. In the meantime, these other things have some influence. And that's, this, that's what he is describing here in chapter 7. He says that they're allowed to harass the saints until the thing grows and it's time for the saints to possess the kingdom. It's important that we know that he says the dominion is an everlasting kingdom. It's not going to be. Is He's talking about the church on the earth, not the church at the end. We look at and some of the things that I have said you don't track with. Now I look at the Catholic Church and we, we see a great ally in many cases. Uh, we see a, a, a church that has spent its money and its vast resources to fight for religious freedoms. It has. To lobby against abortion. To do incredible things. That doesn't look like the picture that I just presented from Daniel. So for this reason, a lot of people said, "Mm, that's a strange interpretation of this chapter. That is because we live in a period of time when God has already said enough is enough. You and I don't live in the 1400s when people were burnt at the stake for translating the Bible to be held. We don't live in a time period where you had to fear for your life if you said things that were not correct. Right? It's a different period of time. We haven't lived under the Spanish Inquisition, which was a Catholic thing. Right? That was something that was political. We have lived in a time where God says enough is enough. This is not a sermon about the Catholic Church. That's just all kind of on the way to where we're going. I want, this is where I want us to get to. Daniel is in the closing years of Babylon. He's kind of had enough of his own. He's seen a lot of stuff. We've described the stuff. And and every time something goes wrong, remember we talked about they have to drag him out of the mothballs and say, uh, hey, can you fix this? You fix great-grandpa. Can you fix this one? Right? All the way down to Belteshazzar. Drag him out. Okay, can, you, can you fix my son? He's, he's got some issues. He tries, and that doesn't work so well. Right? Daniel seed a lot. He's kind of tired of it all. And we see at the end of this, he says, this is the end of the account. As for me, my thoughts greatly troubled me. He didn't understand all of it. He kind of wanted to know, and he got only a little picture. You ever wanted to know how it's going to turn out? Yes, I would right now like to know how it's going to turn out. Do your thoughts greatly trouble you? Yes. God says, I have got it under control. When I say enough is enough, it will be enough. His thoughts greatly troubled me, but that's not the verse I want to draw out. See, the important verse, I think, is the verse right before that. The kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people 
the saints of the Most High, His kingdom is an everlasting, is an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey Him. We do not live in a period of insecurity. Oh yes, your 401k might be up and down. But God gives the picture and says, listen, I have got this under control. I, I can't imagine a time more volatile than living in Daniel's time and, and he's saying, oh yes, you live in a time of an awful empire and guess what? They're only getting worse. You've got three, three of them that are going to get worse. We're going to go through in the next couple of chapters he's going to detail some really horrific things. God says, i got it under control. God only puts up with the saints being persecuted for so long. Now, we might be in the so long. I don't know. But right now on this earth, the gospel is spreading like it has never spread before. You feel surrounded. We talked about that last week. In the 1400s, the first, at least in modern times, known missionary to Nigeria... You ever read some news about Nigeria? Yes, this week. Boko Haram killed 80 people this week. That's like every week. According to estimates, 53% of Nigeria identifies belonging to some Christian denomination. Nigeria. The largest African population, uh, largest countries. In Africa. They had their first Christian missionary 600 years ago. Despite the attacks by multiple, Boko Haram is not the only militant group there. You know what? There. Christians there, I mean, I'm sure there's some exceptions, are not violent protesters. When they come, they, they run into what they call the bush. And when they think it's safe, they come back out. And they go to work. And they talk to people. That's what they do. And that is how the gospel has spread. It hasn't spread with political or social uprising. The gospel has spread when people realize that we are the kingdom and we are saints and, and we have our mission and our job clearly defined. That's how this has been accomplished. So, as we close... I want you to do a couple of things. I want you to obviously pray. And look for the deliverance. Not just the deliverance at the end of the world, but look for the deliverance now. We are God's kingdom now. God has His eyes on His people now. Then I want us to walk out those doors with the confidence to be a part of that movement
Nah, 